This is the Art of Dental Finance and Management with Art Wiederman. Brought to you by Decisions in Dentistry and the Academy of Dental CPAs. Whether it's taxes, investing, or planning wisely, Art is your guide to make your dental practice as profitable as possible. Here's your host, Dental CPA, Art Wiederman. And hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Dental Finance and Management with Art Wiederman CPA. I'm your host, Art Wiederman. I'm a dental-specific CPA located in Southern California in the city of Tustin. And today we are continuing our series, uh, giving you the latest information on the COVID-19 pandemic and how it is affecting the dental profession from a financial standpoint. Uh, we are now about six weeks into the pandemic. We're recording this show uh, on Sunday afternoon, April the 26th, that will go up on the internet, Wednesday the 29th. So as I've been saying for the last four or five weeks, um, if uh, things change between now and then, uh, we won't have it on this podcast, but today what I'm going to do is I'm going to do something a little different. Um, we're going to spend the first part of the show. I have a, a dear friend and, and guest, uh, Randy Curry, who's been on my podcast before. And there's been conversation uh, about whether a business interruption insurance policy uh, would come into play in providing a dental practice or, or frankly, any business uh, from providing them benefits under their business interruption policy. And um, again, folks, we have the federal government is doing what they can. They're putting out trillions and trillions of dollars. Uh, will it be enough? I don't know. Uh, but uh, people are looking to different sources and they're looking at insurance policies and companies. So Randy is an expert on that. We're going to get to Randy and we're going to talk about that and what you can do um, to take a look at whether this is going to work for you. Uh, and then we're going to spend the rest of the time. I'll give you some updates on where um, where the PPP loan program is and um, what you should be doing. And we're going to talk a little bit about strategy as far as what do we do now while your dental office is closed and what do we do uh, after the money runs out from the PPP for eight weeks. And we'll also update you on the new bill that Congress uh, passed and the president signed on uh, Friday uh, a couple days ago go from the recording of our podcast. So let me give you a little information first, and we're going to get right to Randy. Um, if you want to get a hold of me at my office in Tustin, my office number is 714-505-9000. Um, and just uh, go go to, uh, you know, click on me, ask for me, and it'll come right through to my computer. I have actually figured out the technology to get my phone to ring on my computer, which is pretty cool. Um if you want have any questions, and I have answered dozens and dozens, probably over a hundred questions, literally from very very nice doctors all over the country um, about all these uh, SBA loans. If you want to uh, send me a question, uh, artweederman at gmail dot com. I believe I've answered every one of them, uh, and and we're here to help. This is this is all hands are in. It takes a village and we're all in this together and any help that I can give a doctor, whether they're in Southern California in my backyard, uh, I've been talking to doctors on the East Coast and uh, Arkansas, Mississippi, Washington. I mean, I've, 
I've responded to a lot of emails. We've sent a lot of referrals to our dental CPA group, the Academy of Dental CPAs. So send me an email at artwiederman at gmail.com. Uh, if you have, uh, well, go on the internet. Also, one of our wonderful sponsors, our big partner in this is Decisions in Dentistry magazine. Uh, they have a great website, www.decisionsindentistry.com. Look at their continuing ed- education courses. Uh, they have articles on the clinical things that you need to be doing to get ready when you do go back into your dental office. Uh, the state of Oregon is opening dental offices up May 1st for non-emergency procedures. I've been told Colorado may not be far behind, and we'll see where this goes, folks. And if you need a dental-specific CPA, and if you ever needed one, now is the time. This is a, this is a legacy moment. Um, the Academy of Dental CPAs has got your back. 24 amazing CPA firms across the United States that represent over 9,000 dentists. Look us up at www.adcpa.org. Okay. My guest is Randy Curry. And um, I'm going to, before I introduce Randy, I'm going to read you a little something from what I found on the internet. Um, as you know, right now, the only help that small business owners are getting are from the federal government. And there's been talk about uh, business interruption insurance policies. And, and Randy and I have known each other for years. And Randy and I have been talking about this for a month or two. And I've been so focused on the PPP and everything that and the idle loans and 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 helping all of our dentists get through this crisis financially uh I finally got back to this and I called Randy the other day and I said we we got to talk about this on the podcast so uh the insurance industry uh is is petrified of the possibility that uh every business owner who has a business interruption policy in America is going to try and make a claim but I'm going to read you something. Uh, there was a letter written to, uh, on April 2nd to California Democratic representatives Gil Cisneros and Mike Thompson. And the letter was written uh, by a conglomeration of insurance groups, including the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies, Independent Insurance Agents and Brokers of America, American Property Casualty Insurance Association, Reinsurance Association of America, and the Council of Insurance Agents and Brokers. And basically, here is part of what they said in their letter to the two California congressmen, quote, insurance coverage works by spreading risk, but that model simply cannot account for a situation in which losses are catastrophic and nearly universal. Standard business interruption policies do not and were not designed to provide coverage against communicable diseases such as COVID-19, and as such, were not actuarially priced to do so. So with that, Randy Curry, my good friend, how you doing this morning? Welcome to the Art of Dental Finance. Thanks for having me, Art. Good to see you. Well, and and just so you know, uh, Randy and I have done many, many cases together where we are. Um, uh, one of the big things that Randy does is uh, if, if you become disabled as a dentist and you can't lift your arm anymore or you can't your, your neck or your shoulder, um, the first thing I tell a dentist to do is do not call the insurance company. Do not respond to the insurance company. Call Randy. And Randy has done uh, miraculous, and, and that is not an exaggeration, miraculous things to help our doctors get the maximum legal benefit out of their policies. And that's why I brought him on today. So, Randy, let, let's, and Randy practices in Newport Beach, California, and you pretty much spend your life working with business owners, uh, looking at their insurance policies, right? 
I do that every day of my life, every single day for the last 30 plus years. Well, I, I hope it's not every single day. I hope you do get out and enjoy, you know, I, I know you're in, you're in Newport Beach. It's pretty out there. I hope it's not every day, although lately it probably is. Not every day, but part of every day, it seems like I'm looking at insurance coverages. Well, that's great. That and, and you are as good as it gets, and that's that's why I work with you, Randy. So let's first first, why don't you tell our listeners what is a business interruption insurance policy? Is it a part of a policy? Is it a separate policy? Where do you find it? Give us an overview of, of how it works. Okay, be happy to. There's generally not a freestanding policy called a business interruption policy. Generally, it's part of a uh, dentist or another businessman's um, commercial business coverage. Um, uh, ordinarily, you'll think of it as liability coverage. Um, somebody falls on your property, or if you have a fire, or if you have a theft in your business, it covers you in regards to those kinds of losses. It's general liability, a general policy, general business policy or commercial business policy. They're called different things. And in those policies, also generally there's business interruption coverage. It's not always called business interruption coverage. It can be called loss of rents. It can be called loss of use coverage. It can be called loss of income coverage. And those are the protections we're talking about. Most businessmen Throw the throw those policies in a in a drawer or in a file cabinet and don't read them and they don't really understand them. But let me give you a kind of a, a correlation to to uh, to your uh, homeowners coverage. If you buy homeowners coverage and you have a fire loss, you'll have a you'll have coverage if you have to move out of your home or if you can't cook in your kitchen. You'll have coverage under that policy for loss of use or for additional living expenses that will cover you. It'll provide for you to be able to go out to restaurants or substitute housing. It'll cover that. Similarly, in these general business policies, there's coverage for uh, business interruption. And that's what we're talking about. So traditionally, in, in, in some of the cases that you've worked on and that I've worked on, uh, it would be like you say, it would be, you know, the, the dental office burned down or there was the, the California wildfires up in Northern California. Dental offices were totally wiped out. The, the buildings burned down. That, that's what they're traditionally known for, right? That's correct. And that's what the insurance companies look for. They, they, and, and, and when a den, I've had situations where dentists or other uh, business owners have called up the insurance company. Do this is following the coronavirus issues. Do I have coverage for business interruption? No, you don't. Right. Earlier, uh, people should give an attorney a call first before they call the insurance company so they can talk in an educated manner in regards to the insurance. Right. Now, so, and I know that these insurance policies have exclusions, right, Randy? Yes, they do. And it depends on the policy. The policies are all different. Um, there's not just one policy, and I've gone through thousands of them uh, in my career, and they're all different depending on where they are issued and what company is issue, issuing them and what the coverages are within the, in, within the policy uh, policies themselves, and that's critical. Right. So like the other day, you and I were, were helping one of my long-term clients. And I think you looked at his policy and it had an actual, uh, an actual reference to viruses. Did it not? It sure did. And a lot of these policies do. And that's when you call a broker, or you call an insurance company, they'll say, well, you have a, you have a, a virus exclusion, but that's not the end all. 
there can be coverages beyond that that would cover in a situation even with virus that may not be in the office but may be in the community and causes the business interruption. In other words, the government is saying close down or the um, dental association or the medical association is saying close down for safety purposes. And there may be coverage even with the virus exclusion. Now, it's it's interesting because in some of the states in the United States have absolutely mandated, I think Pennsylvania was one, I think Louisiana was one, that where the state flat out said, dentists, you will shut down, period. There's no discussion. Um, in California, it was the California Dental Association strongly recommended a shutdown. But we also have our governor here in California, Governor Newsom, who, who basically did a stay at home order, right? So it's, you know, I, I mean, then you get into the issue of, of did the dentist really, were they legally shut down? I mean, we get into that. Sure do. That's an issue that the insurance company will raise in these claims. And that's why you have to be so careful about what you tell the insurance company and why it's so so important to talk to somebody in the know before you start dealing with the insurance company yourself. Because under these policies, there's commonly coverage called civil authority coverage. And what that is, is that it, it provides coverage in the event you're unable to access, to access your property due to a government order due to physical damage to another property, not to your own, but the the physical damage issue is key too because the insurance company is going to say, well, what's the physical damage? All you're talking about is the risk of a virus. No, there's virus in other areas. If there's virus in other areas that causes your, your business to shut down, there may very likely be coverage under the civil authority coverage, even if there's a virus exclusion. So, well, that's why that's why you're the smart guy here, because you know how this works. So now I know, Randy, you and I have talked about the fact that I mean, and let, let's be real honest here. You know, business owners right now have businesses that have expenses. They have employees, many of whom have been laid off and they have zero revenues. Um you know, I was listening to uh, on uh, Face the Nation this morning, uh, the, the the guy that's in charge of Expedia. He says, we were bringing in $200 billion a, a, a month, and now we're at zero. I mean, there's no playbook for this. So the federal government can only borrow so much money to help small business owners. And the insurance companies have deep pockets and people are looking in this direction. So I know, Randy, you and I have talked about that there's been some litigation that's been going on. Can you share a little bit about the litigation that's going on on these policies even before COVID-19? Yeah, actually, there was there were litigation. There was litigation that happened after the 9-11 events where um, uh, one, for instance, is United Airlines uh, Sudis Insurance Company for failure to pay damages resulting from the closure of Washington National Airport. They lost that case. Why'd they lose it? The court said um, that was not shut down due to a direct damp due to direct damage to adjacent property. Um, therefore, there's no coverage under the policy under the United Airlines policy. But then there's other cases where it's gone the where those cases have gone the other way, depending on the the exact language of the coverage, the exact language of the um, uh, of the policy. So the policy language is absolutely key. So so it's really important. And, and folks, I, I've been doing this podcast for a year and a half. I've had 
well, this is number 71, I think. I've had lots of guests over the last five weeks. I've been doing it on my own. Uh, but I, I don't need to sell Randy Curry's or anybody's services. But the fact of the matter is, is that and I've learned this, these policies, as I've been working with Randy on these cases, mostly on disability insurance and business overhead insurance, which is not what we're talking about here, um, that, that the, the, it's a legal contract. The policy controls. And even though you signed, uh, onto the policy, uh, and you didn't know what it said, you didn't read the whole policy. Most people don't. Um, it's, it's, it is a legal contract. So where where are these cases, Randy? Have any of them been settled? Are they still in the courts? They're just the the older cases in regards to 9-11 are resolved. They're done. However, the cases in regards to coronavirus, these are all brand new. Courts are basically, civil courts are basically closed down right now. Right, right. So you can file cases. My concern with your with your listeners is that they make timely claims because these policies say you have to make it, make a claim within 30 days or 60 days, 90 days, whatever the policy says. And if you don't do so, you can lose your rights. So coronavirus doesn't change that. So, so that was, that was what I was going to ask you is so the time frame. So the, and I guess dental offices, it's pretty clear in most parts of the country started to be shut down in the neighborhood of about March 15th, March 16th. Uh, that, that's pretty well documented. That's about when this whole, I mean, we, we knew about the coronavirus, uh, in, in, it started, I believe, in Wuhan, China back in December, January, and it gradually made its way till the first cases. And then, and then the weekend of the 13th and the 14th is when I, we all kind of knew that this is where this was going. So, so you're saying some of so that time that you're saying we, we can't just file this claim a year from now. We, we might have to file it now. Yeah. A lot of people will think, okay, let's, what's the statute of limitations for lawsuits? And, you know, I'll just wait. No, you have to present a claim. It has to be denied or you have no loss. And if you don't do it on a timely basis, you might lose those rights. More importantly, or at least as importantly in my mind right now, is that the at least in California, the um, uh, the California legislature I know is is um, uh, looking at legislation that would basically eliminate in California the exclusions for the virus. Um, if that were to happen. I'm concerned that the legislature, in order to protect the insurance companies from opening the door to all kinds of claims, would say, okay, if if insureds have submitted claims, then the virus exclusion will not apply. But if they have not, if they have not made timely claims, they are not eligible for this legislation in, in other words in other words i'm very concerned that your listeners could lose rights okay so let's talk about the mechanics of how we would do this so so you we go ahead we have a listener and we get that listener in touch in touch with you and that listener sends you the policy so you have to review every single person's policy that that brings you in to do this right Yes, unfortunately, that's true. Okay, and and you may actually say to a listener uh, or a dentist, you know, this just your policy is so ironclad here; it doesn't make any sense. Or is there going to be is the potential legislation going to allow us to that everybody should make a claim? I am wondering at this juncture, and I go back and forth on this because 
obviously I can't tell somebody to make an illegitimate claim, but uh, policyholders are entitled to make to make claims. An insurance company is required to investigate those claims. An insurance company has a has to has to make a decision in a timely manner. What has happened in the few claims that I've seen since that have been denied, the insurance companies have basically not investigated and have basically said there is no coverage. Sorry, and says it over the phone or sends a short letter. Now the governor, or excuse me, the um, the uh, Department of Insurance in California, the commissioner has said, insurance company, that's wrong. You have to let people make claims. You have to make a, a you have to do an investigation. You have to make a determination. So it may be that if 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 Dr. Smith, let's say that Dr. Smith hears this podcast on Wednesday, he calls you and on Friday uh, you file a claim, you help him file a claim on his business interruption policy. And a week later, they get a, a an automatic denial notice. Um, they may be violating their job as an insurance company is what you're saying, maybe. Right. Well, the insurance commissioner will not like to hear that because that's a violation of California law and it's a regulatory violation that the insurance department in California could take up. Okay. So, 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 and then I, I, I know you're not the accountant. That's why you, you, you work with me, but um, uh, do you have any feel, let's say we have a dentist, uh, dentist is doing a million dollars a year and it's $80,000 a month of revenues and he's going to lose, I don't know, $300,000 in revenues from this 400,000. I mean, once, once we get to the point that we do the numbers, how do we figure out what the damage is? Is that something we do now? Is that something we do later? How does that work? Well, first of all, it depends on the damages themselves and what's recoverable is dependent upon what the language of the insurance policy says. Okay. A lot of day, it's loss of business income and extra expenses. So that's something that needs to be determined, um, I think, pretty much up front. I mean, the insurance company might say, okay, you say you want to make a claim. What are your losses? You have to basically tell them what their losses are. You have a duty to provide that information. I don't do that as an attorney, but you and you know other CPAs, that's your bailiwick. That's what you guys do. Right. I'm. 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 I, no, I understand. That's what you and I have worked on. So, so basically, the steps would be. A dentist comes to you, you look at the policy, you advise them, yes, you can file a claim. Nah, your, your policy doesn't have anything about this. That We go ahead and we file the claim. We have to calculate a number, right? Yes, and I don't think that needs to be done immediately. I think the first step is I would like to or I would like to see your listeners have somebody that knows what they're doing. Take a look at these coverages give them some instruction on what they should do when they do make a claim or do contact the insurance company and ask for claim forms so that they don't say something wrong. Right. Because we- the insurance brokers included. I mean, the broker might be somebody you've dealt with for 20 years and sends you Christmas cards every year. But those guys, they are... Um, they're tied to the insurance companies. That's who pays their bills. So, so I am concerned about what the brokers say and what they say to the brokers. And I'm certainly concerned about what is recorded on conversations with the insurance company. Okay. So with that in mind, time is of the essence. This is not, you can wait till six months. You can wait till you're back open. Um, We need to look at this now. So you're filing a claim. So walk me through the mechanics of this. You file the claim. 
The insurance company denies the claim. What's your next step after they deny the claim? Because they're all going to deny the claims. If they deny the claim, then we have to make a decision. The insurer has to make a decision in regards to what they do at that juncture. Do they do they contact the Department of Insurance in their state? Do they make a regulatory complaint? Do they file litigation at that time? But see, if they go ahead and do the claim properly, then they have the ability to wait a little bit because then they'll see what the Department of Insurance or the legislature is going to do in their state in regards to some of the exclusions like this um, exclusion for viruses that, that, that are in a lot of these policies. So, so it's like, so we're filing, I, I guess you would call it like a protective claim. In, in, in a certain way, yeah, that's true, because then after the fact, after that happens, then you have a period of time, the statute of limitations in California, the bad faith statutes, two years, uh, but you have additional time to say, okay, let's wait and see, or I'm upset and I'm going to file a lawsuit or I'm going to contact the Department of Insurance and, and give this insurance company the devil for what they're doing. Right. Okay. So, Randy, I, I think, is there anything else you wanted to talk about in regards to uh, this subject? Because what I want to do is I want to give your information out. Uh, anything else you want to mention that would be relevant here? I think we covered pretty much how this works. I, I think we covered it. One thing I did, I did not talk about is there's basically two types, types of coverages. One that provides for um, coverage for named perils, like uh, a, um, a fire loss or a theft loss and, and may, may not provide coverage for business interruption, um, or for virus. I can pretty much tell after reviewing the policy, whether it's that type of policy and there's just no hope. But most of these policies that include business, business interruption are what we could call all risk policies. In other words, they cover everything unless there's a specific exclusion. And that exclusion has to be clear. It has, if there's any ambiguity in that exclusionary language, it's construed against the insurance company and in favor of the insured because the insurance company drafted it. So that's very important. That's what I'm looking for. If there is not specific coverage, is there anything that is absolutely ironclad and exclusion? If not, the insurance company is in trouble. Well, and, and you taught me this uh, very, very quickly in our relationship, uh, professional relationship. You, you taught me that ambiguity goes in the favor of the insured. And, uh, oh, my goodness, I have gotten an education on disability, business overhead, long-term disability policies. And these are some of the most ambiguous documents I have ever read. Unbelievable. All right, so so let's put a bow on this, Randy. What what I you know I had this conversation, Randy. We have thousands of listeners who listen to this podcast, uh, and we have uh, thousands of listeners who listen to it when it comes out and who download it. Um, and we have clients. You're gonna we're gonna have you in the next week or two come into our uh, our weekly um, HMWC I'd Bailey uh, webinars, which we do uh, Tuesday mornings at 11 a.m. California time. Uh, so. Uh, I'm going to tell you that if you want to send me an email and you want Randy's information, send it to artwiederman at gmail.com. We're going to put Randy's information in the meeting notes, the email and the number. So Randy, if they want to call you directly and talk to you, um, and, and I, I had this conversation with be prepared. You might get a bunch of phone calls, uh, or emails. What, what would be the best phone number for them to reach you at? Uh, my office in Newport beach. My office number is area code nine four nine. 
248-258-4381. If I don't pick up, and a lot of times I'm busy, please leave a voicemail message. And, and Randy is real good. And then the best email uh, for them if they want to email you directly? They're welcome to email me at rcurry at currylawyers, C-U-R-R-Y-L-A-W-Y-E-R-S.com. And, and folks, I do think you're going to hear more and more about this. Uh, and again, you know, for some of you, if you have to file a claim within 30 days, in your experience, Randy, do they have maybe 60 days or do you think a lot of them are 30? No, I think more of them are 90. But okay. there are some 30. That's my concern. Okay, well, 30, we're probably past that date. But if they're 60 or 90, then we've got some time, but time is of the essence. Anything else yeah. you want to do, Randy, on uh, on this subject? Because it is important. We're trying to do everything we can for our doctors to to find a way to help them in the long run. Nope, let's help these people out. Sounds good. Randy Curry, my good friend, thank you so much for uh, coming on to the show today. Thanks a lot, Art. Thank you, Randy, for that great information. And I think it's going to be really interesting, folks, to see where this goes. Uh, this is not money that you should count on, but I will tell you in the big picture, people are looking at sources of money to recover from this horrible pandemic. Uh, small businesses are looking for this. And the government can only go so far into debt. Uh, they're going to be looking at some of these other sources like deep pockets, like insurance companies. And there are, as Randy said, all these uh, lawsuits that are out there and states and possibly the federal government who might be changing these laws to help businesses. So we'll see where that goes. So for the rest of the podcast, what we're going to do is, uh, I don't know, uh, one of my favorite TV shows is Jeopardy. So this will be kind of a potpourri category, a uh, little bit of everything that's been going on. Uh, let's start off with the um, update on the PPP program. Now, uh, as I'm sure you know, on uh, Friday of last week, um, actually Friday, that would have been uh, April the 24th. Uh, we're recording on Sunday the 26th. April the 24th, President Trump signed a $484 billion uh, extension, uh, additional stimulus package, which included $310 billion going to the PPP program. $60 billion of that will go to small community banks, uh, and the other $250 will go into the, into the pot for people who did not get funded the first time around. Uh, I suspect, and I, I'm a positive person, but unfortunately, I've been reading and talking to lots of people. There are a lot of small businesses that did not get funded the first time around. Uh, I would not be surprised if by the time you listen to this podcast that the $310 billion was uh, spoken for, accounted and spoken for. I would not be surprised. So if you are going to apply and you hear this on Wednesday the 20, uh, that would be Wednesday the 29th, uh, and there's still money in the pot, I would apply as soon as possible. If you don't end up getting PPP, if they don't go ahead and fund this for a third round, which I would think they're going to, there's talk about CARES 2.0, but it probably won't come for another month or two, which is good and bad. I mean, none of this is good, but the, the good is, is that if they, if they do put more money into this, uh, and people apply, 
and they're in the queue and they get it a month or two from now, it may very well be when your dental office is open. Uh, again, it's been the wild, wild west. But so what happens is, is that we are now waiting, desperately waiting for the guidance on the forgiveness. Remember, I told you there's three pieces to this. The first piece is the application piece. Now, to show you how absolutely, I'm going to use the word absurd some of this is, on April 3rd is when banks started accepting applications for the payroll protection program. Three weeks to the day later, April 24th, they finally issued concrete guidance on how to calculate how much, uh, how you do the calculation for a sole proprietor, for a partnership, and for a C and an S corporation to figure out how do you calculate payroll costs. Now, this is really important, folks, because I read the CARES Act again for about the 37th time, and uh, there's a reason I didn't go to law school, because reading this stuff makes my head hurt. But payroll costs are defined in a certain way, and they are being defined in the CARES Act, and they're defined here in the uh, interim guidance given by the SBA. And I'm going to go through in a minute what came out on Friday the 24th. Uh, this is brand spanking new interim guidance that clarified most everything, but not there's one point that I'm still not 100% sure on. And the reason this is important is because when you look at the CARES Act, the definition of payroll costs in calculating the amount of money that you ask the bank to lend you seems to be very similar to the calculation of payroll costs that you generally have to spend uh, during the eight-week period. Um, again, it's different, but we're talking the payroll costs part. So you calculated how much of a loan you want to get based on two and a half times your payroll costs, generally based on 2019. You then spend the money on payroll costs. Again, same words, payroll costs and rent, utilities, and interest, and you have to spend 75% on, here we go again, payroll costs. And then you're going to ask for forgiveness, which is the third part of this uh, triangle. And the forgiveness is based on, there it is again, payroll costs. So we are, again, desperately waiting and again, tomorrow morning, as we record this Sunday night, tomorrow morning, it looks like we're supposed to get detailed guidance from the SBA that tells us how do we calculate the forgiveness? Are we allowed in the eight-week period to, and this is this is not what the law was intended, but I've gotten questions like this. Are we allowed to have the doctor who's been paying into unemployment all these years stay on unemployment and then on the 55th day out of the 56 days that are in eight weeks uh, take a check for $15,384? We don't know. Uh, but what I want you to be thinking about in this whole PPP process is I want you to be thinking that at the end of the day, what's going to happen is after the eight weeks are over, you have eight weeks to spend this money on what the Congress wants you to spend it on. After this eight-week period, you're now going to go and put a package together or your financial advisor is going to put a package together for the bank. 
and the bank is going to have an underwriter. They're going to have lots of underwriters and they're going to get thousands and thousands of these packages. And the underwriter who is probably a relatively intelligent uh, young man or young woman or old man or old woman uh, is going to be given a list of rules and a checklist that says this is what you have to do and you have to check these boxes and they're going to say, okay, you borrowed a hundred thousand dollars. We under the rules, you are going to get forgiven $86,423 and 58 cents. And you're going to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I listened to Wiederman's podcast and Wiederman told me if I do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, that I'll get a hundred thousand dollars, a hundred percent forgiven. So you are at the mercy of an underwriter at a bank and you don't know that person. You'll never meet that person. I'm sure they're very nice, but you are file number of five, six, seven, eight, two, three. So that's why we have to do our best to follow these rules. So let's, let's talk about this guidance that they gave us um, on April 24th, this last Friday uh, about uh eight or nine questions that they gave us. So let's start off with how you compute how much you're going to ask for. And again, this is important because we think, we think that this is going to be kind of how they're going to think about how you're going to get forgiven. So for a sole proprietor, if you haven't applied, and again, the the crime of all this, folks, is that 95% of you have applied for this program, and now they're coming out with guidance to tell you how to apply for this program. It is is the theater of the absurd. Uh, But again, this came on very, very quickly, and, um, you know, nobody was prepared for it. So for a sole proprietor, you basically are going to take your line 31 payroll, uh, your, your net income from line 31 of your Schedule C, and you're going to add to that, uh, you're going to add to that your employees' payroll costs. Now, your line 31 of Schedule C is limited to $100,000. Uh, it appears that the owner doctor does not get to add his or her health insurance premiums or their retirement contribution because those two items are not included on Schedule C. They are included uh, on page one of the 1040. Self-employed health insurance goes on as an adjustment to income on page, um, well, on one of the, the schedules. I don't even remember what the schedule is now. They've changed the the 1040, and I'm not going to bore you with all the numbers. Uh, that's why we have computers. And so the health insurance and the uh, the retirement plan contribution is not part of the Schedule C. So for a sole proprietor, you get up to $100,000 of your income, and you get to add that to payroll costs. And we've had lots of banks who have disallowed this. Say, no, 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 that, that's not on your W-3. That's not included. Well, if you haven't applied for this PPP loan, you get to include up to $100,000 on your Schedule C. Uh, so that's a sole proprietor. So for the sole proprietor, we get to deduct, um, and, and we're more than likely going to be able to be forgiven if we pay, um, you know, eight fifty seconds of a hundred thousand dollars of salary, uh, or in your case, uh, Schedule C income, 
for the owner, uh, 850 seconds of the health insurance, 850 seconds of the retirement plan contribution, and eight fifty and, and basically, um, eight weeks of payroll. Now, again, we're waiting, waiting, waiting for the guidance. And we have, by the way, I want to make a point. We've sent out a PPP, PPP planning spreadsheet. It's on our website at www.hmwccpa.com. Included in there is a line for uh, employee benefits. And this was done before this guidance came out. And I'm going to probably add a little bit to the instructions uh, this coming week. So it includes the health insurance and the uh, retirement plan contribution. So for a sole proprietor, we don't get that. We don't, we don't get that. Now let's move on to a partnership. And they gave us some guidance last week on a partnership. And now they're giving us what appears to be some more concrete guidance, but this is really interesting. So for the partnership, uh, you have to add your hundred thousand, you get the hundred thousand for the owner, uh, or less. And it is the amount of what's called net earnings from self-employment, which is the amount when you get your K-1, which is computed on box 14A of your K-1. Uh, and you have to reduce that by any section 179 expense that you use, uh, any unreimbursed partnership expenses claimed. And then you have to multiply that by 0.9235, which is going to drive you up the wall. But basically, they don't want you to be able to write off the employer portion of your self-employment tax because that's not included in any of these calculations. Um, none of this includes, for partnerships, the owner's health insurance uh, and because the owner's health insurance goes on, I believe it's line 13M of the K-1. And it does not include the owner's retirement contribution, which I believe goes on line 13R of the K-1. So for the sole proprietors and for the partnerships, you're going to get your $100,000. And again, this is how you compute the amount that you're applying for. This guidance is for applying. And again, 95% of you have already applied. Many of you already have your money. And now you're saying, oh, okay, so now you're telling me. And there are hundreds, maybe thousands of dentists who are sole proprietors or partnerships who applied for the PPP loan and didn't add this 100000 And if you've gotten your loan, you're probably out of luck. If you haven't gotten your loan or if you're in the queue, I would call my bank and I would say, listen, there's this guidance I heard about from this guy named Wiederman. And he says that I get to add my $100,000 of income for my uh, Schedule C or for my partnership income. And if you have a banker that's reasonable or that it hasn't gone too far down the road, you might be able to amend the application, but don't hold your breath. Okay. So now, now we got, a, now we, we've talked about sole proprietors and we've talked about um, partnerships. What about S and C corporations? So in the statute, it talked about the fact that for employees, and again, remember, if you own an S or a C corporation, you are an employee of your corporation. So for this, um, they have guidance of how you calculate the amount of the loan, which is presumably probably going to be similar to the way they compute the amount of the forgiveness. 
And what they're saying is for an S and a C corporation, you have the gross wages paid to your, I'm going to read this right off the document, 2019 gross wages and tips paid to your employees whose principal place of residence in the United States, which can be computed using 2019 IRS from 941 taxable Medicare wages and tips. Uh, from each quarter plus any pre-tax employee contributions for health insurance or other fringe benefits. So for the S corporation shareholder, here's how this is supposed to work. You pay your health insurance through your practice. You're supposed to call your payroll service and add that health insurance. Let's say your W-2 is 100000 and your health insurance is $15,000. you are supposed to call the last week of the month or as you go, and add $15,000 to line one of your W-2. So what's going to happen is, is it's going to be included in your W-2 when you do your personal return. It's then going to be a deduction for wages, which is going to reduce your K-1 amount. So that is a wash. And then you deduct it on your 1040 as self-employed health insurance in the same way that uh, partners and sole proprietors do that. That's what we do for S corporations. So what they're saying is, is that in doing this calculation to figure out what you're eligible as payroll costs, the 2019 gross wages, which includes your health insurance. But if you're over a hundred thousand, you're not going to get it. So let's say that your salary is 200,000 and included in that is 20,000, you know, 15,000 of, of, um, of health insurance. Well, you're only going to get 100000 So you're not going to get that. And then it goes on to talk about the fact that you get to deduct for an S corporation, the health insurance contributions, which are included uh, line um, on uh, you know, line 18, which I believe is the other deductions line, um, attributable to health insurance. Well, your health insurance should not be in there. Now, I've prepared thousands of tax returns and reviewed thousands of tax returns, maybe tens of thousands of tax returns in my career. And I will tell you that many, many times the employee, uh, the employer's health insurance on an S corporation tax return is included in insurance expense. That is wrong, incorrect. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200, but it's done all the time. So, but so what's interesting is that based on my reading of this, the owner is in an S corp is not going to get to add their health insurance because they're going to be capped at a hundred thousand dollars according to this guidance. But if you look at the uh, S corporation uh, tax return for an S corporation, for for an S corporation, you include in retirement plan expense, not only the employee's portion, but the employer's portion. So if you've put $200,000 into a defined benefit plan, and that's a defined benefit and a profit sharing, and maybe 180 is going to you and 20 is going to the employees, well, that's included in, in this calculation. And maybe it's included in the forgiveness part, which we're waiting for. So so for the S corporation, according to this guidance that came out on the 24th and according to my reading of it, and there might be 10 other people who might read it differently, for an S corporation, it does not appear if the owner's got significantly higher than $100,000 of salary that he or she is going to get their health insurance and in applying and then again, maybe forgiving, but they are going to get their retirement plan contribution. Now, if you are a C corporation, which most of you are not, most of you who are incorporated are S, 
but some of you are C-Corps. For you, guess what? You're going to get both because a C-Corporation can deduct the health insurance of the owner and deducts the retirement plan contribution of the owner the same way that an S-Corporation does. So, it appears to me, it appears to me that you will get the retirement plan contribution for yourself if you're a C or an S and that you will not get it if you're a partnership or an S corporation. Now, we are hoping, I was talking to my very good friend, Kate Williford. Uh, there, there are, you know, I can't call all 24 firms and 90 or 100 people that are involved in this. And, you know, Kate, Kate is in Northern California. She is a, just a dear friend. I've known her for 20 years and she and I have been bouncing things off of each other on these laws. She'll call me, I'll call her. And, uh, you know, her, her comment to me when I asked her about this the other day was that, you know, Art, we're really hoping that when they come out with the forgiveness regulations that they'll make some adjustments, but, uh, don't know. Don't know. It's the wild, wild west. So. Here's where we are right now. That's the new guidance that we got that I haven't been able to talk to you about because this came out on Friday the 24th. So what's going to happen is, folks, is that now you're going to get your money. All right? And let's talk about this for a couple minutes. Some of you, many of you have called me and said, I've got my PPP money. I need to figure out what is the best way to get all of this forgiven. And I have payroll costs, and I want to start paying my payroll. So I'm going to give you my opinion without this guidance. Now, I, although I am dreading this guidance because I'm hoping, I'm hoping upon hope that it covers all the different little nuances and questions and everything that we've been talking about for the past five or six weeks. I am really hoping so that we can answer questions and we can do this correctly. Because again, the objective is to get this package to the bank, to the underwriter and get 100% forgiven if we follow the rules. So you've got this money. Um, maybe wait a couple of days before you pay your payroll. And let's see if we can get some additional guidance. If we don't get this guidance in a week or two weeks, here's what I would do. Uh, the spirit and, uh, and object of this law was for you to get this money and to immediately take your employees off of unemployment and pay them their regular salaries. I believe, again, if we don't get this guidance, and again, it's very possible by the time you hear this, we'll have this guidance. And if we do, I will spend the entire hour talking about the forgiveness um, rules that the SBA put together. But right now, we don't have them is if you need to pay a payroll, pay your employees what you would have paid them had they not been, uh, had there not been a COVID-19 pandemic. If you do that and you use this money to do this and you use my PPP planning spreadsheet, which again, if you email me at artweederman at gmail.com, uh, I will make sure that you get a copy. It's also on our website at www.hmwccpa.com. Uh, but if you plan this thing out and you pay your employees and you make sure that at least 75% of the money that you pay out is for payroll costs. And again, payroll costs are these little nuances about health insurance and retirement and all this stuff. And again, if you are just absolutely mind boggled by all of this, 
please go on to our website and I, I, I promise you, you won't be sorry. www.adcpa.org. Call the member in your area. Every one of these members has been living this nightmare for the past six weeks, including myself. And we've been reading every bit of guidance. So they will help you through all of this. So here's an interesting situation. So one of my long-term, 35-year, dear, dear, dear clients. It's a partnership of three corporations, and they got their money. They got, uh, you know, $328,000, a big practice, three three owners. And we got on the phone for an hour and a half on a, on a meeting, and we went through the spreadsheet, and we had them schedule it all out. And the way it's looking right now, they're at about 84% payroll costs and 16% rent utilities and interest. And so I said, okay, so when did you get your money? They said Friday. It was deposited Friday the 24th. I said, when's your next payroll? They said, it's going to be paid on the 29th, but it's going to be from the 13th to the 26th. I said, huh, we have a conundrum. So if you use this PP, if they, I said to them, I said, if you use this PPP money to pay payroll from the 13th to the 26th, and you got the money on the 24th, when we do the forgiveness calculation, are they going to say, wait a minute, we're not forgiving any payroll that's, that's, that's calculated from the 13th to the 24th or the 23rd, even though you paid it during the eight-week period, that payroll was not incurred in the eight-week period. And that's why I told this group, just wait. Let's wait and get this guidance. And if you don't want to wait, then you have to understand that you're risking that when we go to the underwriter, it may very well be not allowed. So, folks, use this money to pay your payroll costs. That's what I think that you need to do. And, again, hopefully that the statute says that tomorrow, the 27th of February, of, of, of April, I'm sorry, the 27th of of April, you are supposed to, we are supposed to have the guidelines of how the bank is going to calculate the forgiveness. And it's going to tell us, can we pay all the payroll at the end? Can we uh, pay a retention bonus? There's a rule that talks about the fact that we can't cut our employee salaries 25%. I mean, with everything that, that the poor small business owner, and I, I'm not patronizing anyone. I, I, I feel for you guys like you have no idea. And, and, and that's one of the reasons I've been answering hundreds of emails from all of you from all over the country. And, and, and you're, you're just basically saying, Art, please answer my question. Help me. And I, you know, I don't care if I ever talk to you. I've got, I have answered every email that's come in. I, Pretty sure I have. And, 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 and I just feel horrible for you guys that small business owners uh, who have to go through all of this. And on top of it, you have to have a, a, you know, a master's in PPP. Uh, well, that's what the ADCPA is, is, has gotten over the past six weeks as a master's in this stuff. So give us a call. We'll help you. We'll work you through it. And I want to make my, 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 uh, you know, some more comments about this PPP. I've had, I've had doctors who have said to me, um, I, I get all over the board. I, I have doctors who say, Art, I can't wait to get this money. I can't wait to put my employees back on payroll. We're going to start doing training. We're going to start doing stuff. Uh, and, and, and we're going to get ready for when we open. Now, interesting news. 
Uh, the state of Oregon announced that non-emergency dental procedures can be performed in dental offices starting May 1. I did not check before I went on, on the air here. Uh, I also read in an article that I believe Indiana might be in the same boat. Uh, they're talking about it in Colorado and many other states are starting to allow for non-emergency healthcare procedures. Now, does that mean dental? I don't know. But what you need to do is to make sure that every single day, maybe multiple times in a day, that you are checking your state dental society's website, you're calling, you're, you're asking, you know, it, it'll become very quickly known, um, in, uh, in, in every state, because the president has not said, I'm making the rules. He started out that way, but then he said, you know, I'm just going to let every single governor and every single state government decide how they open things up. And uh, they have opened things up. I was uh, I haven't gotten out of the house a whole lot. Uh, in the past six weeks, I am a, as I think I've told you, a severe asthmatic. So if I get this thing, we got big problems. And like I told you, this will be the art of somebody else's dental finance. But I did get to go play nine holes of golf. We were only able to get on it at about six o'clock. So we played nine holes very quickly before it got dark. And it was surreal. I mean, everybody was in masks and they had you moving the golf cart. You were in your own golf cart. You couldn't sit with your friend. And the golf carts were spaced about six to eight feet away from each other. And there were, were, were spaces where the golf carts had to be parked and there were trash cans next to each one. I mean, it was just something that you saw in a movie. And unfortunately, I think for a while, that is the way life is going to be in some instances. Um, but, uh, you know, if, if you're a golfer and you can get out, many of the states have opened up the golf courses and golf is a game that is set up that you can play, um, and be six feet apart from people. And that, that's good. Thing. I mean, we're not talking about golf on the art of dental finance, except I could talk about golf all day long. Uh, but, but that, that's what's been going on here. And, and the states are starting to open up, open up. So. My whole point of bringing this up, folks, is this, is I have doctors who've said, I'm not putting my employees back on payroll. I'm not doing it. Um, it makes no sense. I'm not going to pay them to sit home. And they're making more money on unemployment than they are making if I put them back on payroll. There was an article in the, um, there was an article in the, on the internet about this young woman on the East Coast who owned a, who had 27 employees and she owns a graphic design firm and she considered her employees as family and they loved her and she loved them and it was a love fest and the whole thing until they had a Zoom meeting at which point the owner, this, this, this young woman who got her PPP loan said, I'm putting everybody back on payroll effective immediately and we're going to get going and she was absolutely lambasted by all of her employees they posted mean things about her on social media they sent her mean texts several of them quit because they were going to make less money on unemployment uh, on on uh, from ppp payroll than they would have on unemployment and it was selfish of her not to leave them on unemployment until the unemployment ran out and it was selfish because all she wanted to do was make sure the government paid her rent well i'll tell you what folks the <laughs> the government has made this money available for you and what i would like to encourage every one of you to do 
And I said this last week, and I'm going to say it again. If you get your PPP money, we do not have the opportunity to wait until our dental offices open until uh, in order to start paying employees. We have to do it uh, within the eight-week period, and that eight-week period starts the day the bank puts the money in your bank account. And they have to do it within 10 days, 10 calendar days of the date that you're approved. And most of the banks are getting this money and doing it within 24 to 48 hours. I would strongly encourage you to put your employees back, show leadership, tell them, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, if you will, here's what we're going to do because they work for you. They work for you. You are their boss. We are going to call every single patient in our practice, and we are going to tell these patients. We're not going to tell them. We're going to ask them, how are they doing? How are they feeling? How is their, how is their mental state? How are they doing? How are they handling all of this? How's their family? How are their kids? How are their friends? And I have one client who did that. And I think I might have mentioned uh, him last uh, time. And his comment to me, and I will repeat this again. His comment to me was, Art, every single patient without fail was so appreciative. Several of them said, nobody else in my life picked up the phone and called me and asked me how I was. You know, my 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 physician didn't do it. My attorney didn't do it. Um, my nail salon didn't do it. You know, they didn't do it. But my dentist did it. And again, we're going to have, when we get on the other side of this, there will be no PPP money. That goes away in eight weeks. What we need is we need two things. Number one, we need the uncompromised loyalty of your patients. Number two, we need the uncompromised loyalty of your dental team. And dentistry, as we all know, is going to look very different. Uh, there's not going to be three or four people or five or ten people sitting in a reception area. Uh, there's going to be people sitting in their cars who are going to get text messages from the office that your room is ready. Uh, we're going to be purchasing uh, UV machines and, uh, you know, different chemicals to make sure that the dental office is clean and safe, which it already was, but uh, the PPE equipment uh, is going to have to be used. It, it's just going to look different. So we've got to have our patients understand two things. Number one, we care deeply about them. And number two, that there is no safer place that they can come than Dr. Wiederman's dental office. And we can't wait. We can't wait for you to come in. And if you use this PPP money, even though they're not going to be in your office to do this, and you call every patient and you have them understand how much you care about them, the goodwill that you're going to build and the goodwill that you're going to build in the community will be immeasurable. And it will make it so much easier. On the other hand, if you just wait and hire them back the day you get uh, the the go-ahead from your state, and then you either start using this PPP money or not, uh, it may not be so smooth. And, uh, you know, there are lots of webinars out there that talk about what you should be doing on a management standpoint. And I would suggest that you listen to them because that's what everybody is saying. So. Hopefully, by Monday the 27th, by the time I talk to you next after this podcast, hopefully what will happen 
is that we will have PPP guidance. Hopefully, that's what we'll have uh, on the forgiveness part. And if we do, I will report it to you. Uh, again, email me at artwiederman at gmail.com if you want Randy Curry's phone number or, com- uh, or information to talk to him about looking at your business interruption insurance and possibly filing a protective claim, as well as our PPP planning spreadsheet, which again, I want to be clear, this PPP planning spreadsheet that, that I talked about last week that we've sent to a lot of you this week uh, is to plan what this is going to look like. Um, you know, some of you are not going to pay the wages until five or six weeks into it until you open your office. That's your choice. Uh, some are going to uh, pay it from day one. Uh, we, we just don't know what you're going to do, but this allows you to plan for the forgiveness and to see what we can do to make it better once we have these rules. A couple more things I want to share with you. Number one, interestingly enough, Facebook has committed $100 million. They did it about a month ago, and I just found out about it. Facebook has committed $100 million to uh, a fund of grants, uh, and the grants include cash grants of up to $100,000 per business. Now, remember, a grant is money you don't have to pay back. And also, they're going to give free advertising space in Facebook, I believe. Uh, I haven't gotten into the, the details. I was looking on the Internet several times. And I couldn't find out how much of this money has been used up. But you want to go to Facebook. You want to look at grants. I would just Google Facebook Facebook grants. And in fact, I actually do have it written down here. So the the link is facebook.com forward slash business forward slash boosts, B-O-O-S-T-S, forward slash grants. And go there. And it's for uh, businesses that have two to 50 employees that have been in business over a year that have had challenges due to the COVID-19 virus, which that's a slam dunk, um, and that are in locations where Facebook operates, which is pretty much everywhere. And they will give up to $100,000 in cash grants. I would apply. I mean, that's free money. One other thing I would also do, folks, and then I get one more thing and we'll, we'll call it a podcast. Um, if you have not applied for the EIDL loan through the SBA's website, www.sba.gov, they added, um, $60 billion, including $10 billion of that for these $10,000 grants or $1,000 per employee that they've been talking about. And if you can get, I mean, my, my client, the ones I was telling you about that I was talking to on Friday afternoon, they got a $328,000 PPP loan and they got a half a million dollar EIDL loan. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to use the PPP loan for eight weeks to pay payroll and, and pay other things. As they start ramping up again, we're going to use the EIDL money for lab and supplies and, um, you know, other expenses in the practice. And then we're going to use it as working capital, which is exactly what the government wants you to use it for. And it has to be paid back over 30 years. So I would, if you have not applied for the EIDL loan, apply for it now. You might get a call that you're going to get a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars. That will secure your, you know, uh, your, your financial security in your practice if you get both of these. Remember again, and we're not going to get into deep detail with this. If you don't, if you don't get 
APPP loan, we do have the employee retention credit that will allow you a tax credit from March, I think it's March 12th to December 31 uh, on payroll taxes. Basically, uh, half of, uh, you know, 50% of your page payroll per employee up to a maximum per employee of $10,000. So it's 5,000 per employee. So if you have seven employees, it's 35 grand. It's not like a PPP loan, which could be hundreds of thousands of dollars that are going to be forgiven. But if you don't get the PPP, talk to your accountant, talk to us, talk to a member of the ADCPA about the employee retention credit. Last thing I want to bring to your attention, and I think Megan Mortimer on our podcast last week mentioned it. But I found it here, and it's on the ADA's website. I'm just going to read it to you. And uh, we all know that there's going to be additional costs for um, for uh, PPE equipment. We have PPP loans, and we have PPE equipment. It's alphabet soup. So we're all going to have to spend uh, – all the dentists are going to have to spend more money on um, – uh, protective equipment and gear and expenses and all this stuff. So here's what the ADA is saying. It's a statement on third-party payer reimbursement for costs associated with increased standards for personal protective equipment. The safety of patients, dentists, and dental team members has been and always will be the American Dental Association's utmost concern. ADA has issued interim recommendations aligning with those from the Centers for Disease Control for the use of PPE. Uh, I'll paraphrase here. Um, given these interim recommendations, the ADA anticipates that the cost of each patient visit will substantially increase for procedures performed in the dental office. Well, we know that. Third-party benefit programs, that being insurance companies, should either, one, adjust the maximum allowable fees for all procedures, or two, allow a standard fee per date of service per patient to accommodate the rising costs. Not doing so is deemed an automatic reduction in reimbursement rates. Yeah, it is. But the ADA has no control over the insurance companies. They're just making recommendations. So here's what they've done. Write this down, folks, if you're not aware of it. Prior to such adjustments taking effect, in other words, before the insurance companies give you uh, an extra ability to um, to bill them for these extra expenses, uh, dental offices may use, may wish to use a new CDT code, D-1999. Let me repeat that again. That's D-1999. Again, Megan from the ADA, um, uh, who was on last week, she mentioned it. I will mention it again. Uh, it's D-1999, unspecified preventative procedure by report to document and report the use and cost of additional PPE. Dentists can use this code once uh, per patient uh, visit slash claim to attempt to cover the costs. And they talk about uh, developing a standard office policy, et cetera. And we'll see where that goes with the insurance companies. So, ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for listening again. Our, uh, our listenership, uh, including the people that have come from, uh, decisions in dentistry. Uh, I mean, w- we are now at record levels of uh, people listening to the podcast. I am getting emails from all over the country from people who are, uh, you know, they're getting this information. We're getting their questions answered. Uh, we're getting them good information. So, again, every Tuesday morning, 
uh, on uh, Ide Bailey and HMWC's platform at 11 a.m. Pacific time. We're doing weekly updates. And uh, actually, we will have Randy Curry coming on, I think, uh, May 4th or May 5th. Uh, go on to our website at www.hmwccpa.com. Uh, look at the resources tab. You can see all the prior podcasts. Again, the last four or five of them have been about the PPP and the SBA loans and the COVID-19 crisis. But there's a lot of really good t- content on just about every business uh, management and finance uh, subject that has to do with dentists. Uh, if you want to get a hold of me in my office, call me at uh, 714-505-9000. Email me at artweederman at gmail.com. We'll get you the planning spreadsheet for you to plan. Do not submit the planning spreadsheet to the bank. Don't do that. Use it to plan out what you're going to do with this money. Uh, if you want me to get you Randy Curry's phone number, his uh, contact information will be in the show notes on our website and on Decision and Dentistry's website as well. And um, uh, if you want him to look at your business interruption policy to see if uh, he would recommend that you make a claim, he is the best in the business. I wouldn't work with anybody else. Uh, if you are looking for some really great content, uh, a lot of really great guidance on what's going on in COVID-19, uh, articles from the best of the best, uh, go to www.decisionsanddentistry.com, uh, look at their CE classes, look at their content. It's just absolutely as good as it gets. And again, folks, if you are not working with a dental-specific CPA, if there has ever been a time in your life that you would do that, even if you just did it on a consulting basis, uh, I am one who believes in this life that you get what you pay for. And if you have a C, I have gotten, oh my goodness, 10 emails at least. And here's how the email starts off. Dear Art, thank you so much for your podcasts, your knowledge and your, uh, uh, your, your understanding of this difficult situation is really appreciated. Uh, my CPA is clueless. My CPA has no answers for me. My CPA doesn't know how this works. And I'm sure there are many of you out there who have called your CPA and who have asked them, Hey, Joe, Susie, help me. How, how do I do this? What do I do? Do I take this money? What loan do I take? How do I pay my bills? And they don't know. And that doesn't make them bad CPAs. It just means that they're not dental specific. Please, if you are, if you've gotten this loan money or you're going to get this loan money or you've gotten idle money or you're just a dentist, please go under our website at www.adcpa.org. Go click on the members tab. Look for the member in your area. We got you covered in pretty much any state. If you're not sure who the closest member is in your state, email me at artweederman at gmail.com and I will personally respond and tell you who to call. Well, that's it for this edition of the Art of Dental Finance and Management. And I'm going to give you my motto for this Time in our lives, folks, five words, failure is not an option. It is absolutely not an option. And God bless every one of you. Please stay safe. Stay six feet apart. Stay inside. 
don't risk this. Uh, as we mentioned last week, we lost a, our dear, dear friend, Larry Goodman, to this COVID-19 pandemic. And he went very quickly and it didn't look like he was, looked like he was going to be okay. This is a horrible, horrible thing. So the longer we stay inside and the longer we, we fight this and make it go away, the sooner, hopefully in the next year at 18 months, they'll have a vaccine the sooner we can get back to life as we knew it. So, again, this is Art Wiederman. This is the Art of Dental Finance and Management with Art Wiederman CPA. Bye for now. <music>